Thanks for joining us for this message from Awakened Church. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we pray that you're encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from God's Word together. Starting a whole new chapter today. You guys ready for that? I'm excited for it. It's Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 10 today in a message that's called, Pardon My Spiritual Dust. So you can go ahead and turn there. And we are continuing this series, little by little, finding your identity in Christ. And I love that we're going through this and we're talking about identity. Because for so many of us, the world would love to put labels on us. Say, this is who you are. This is what you've done. This is who you should be. Like the world would love to put labels on us and identify us as certain things. But I love that we're going through the book of Ephesians because often Paul will say, in Christ, with Christ. You'll see that over and over in this book. And I love that because what he's getting at is that it doesn't matter what the world would label you as. If you are found in Jesus, if you've given your life to Jesus, then that's your identity. As a son or daughter of Jesus. And so I love that we're going through this. In fact, I was even thinking like, um, I don't know about you, but you could probably look back on a time in your life where you felt a little insecure. Maybe you felt a little rejected in life. I know for me that I've battled with feelings of insecurity. And some of you be like, well, yeah, we already knew that, Nate. We knew that you're a little insecure. And I would say, thanks. Now I feel a little bit more insecure about myself right now. But I think if we're being honest with each other, We would all say that we battle feelings of insecurity, inadequacy in some way. For some of us, we might look at our coworkers or our neighbors and go, why can't I drive that kind of car? Why can't I live in that kind of neighborhood? And so we feel a little insecure about that stuff. Or you go to your friend's house and you love this friend. You adore this friend, but the thing that bothers you about this friend is that everything is picture perfect. Everything has a place and everything is in that place. And not to mention it also smells like fresh baked cookies. And you're like, I love this friend, but they're, but they're really kind of annoying. Because when you look at your house, you go, why does my house smell like sweaty socks and frustration and looks like a war zone all the time? And so you battle with feeling inadequate about your own home, about your own life. And also, if you're a student here today, If you have a friend that just seems to be more smart or popular than you, you might think, well, why does it seem like they can get by so easily in life? Why does it seem like everything comes easy? I work so hard, but feel like I can barely get a passing grade. And you think, what's wrong with me? Why can't I be like them? Or for you, maybe you've met that uh, super Christian You know who I'm talking about, that super spiritual Christian who can just, as you're having a normal conversation, they just weave in Lamentations 3.22 and you're like, "Um, let me just check, is that actually a book in the Bible? Like, so you're going to the concordance and you're like, how do I even spell Lamentations? Like, is that even a verse in the Bible? What does it say? Or you're talking with them and they're praying over you and you think, I need to take notes on this prayer because this is the kind of prayer that God listens to. Like when I pray, it's more like good food, good meat, good God, let's eat. Amen. Like you're just like, come on, I I need to pray like they need to pray. But maybe you can relate with that. That you wish that you were like this person or like that person. Or maybe you feel rejected in life or you weren't able to achieve what you wanted to achieve. And if you've ever felt like that, I want to encourage you today by telling you you're absolutely right. There is something wrong with you. The way you raise kids, the way that your marriage is, the job that you have, all those feelings are right. Because hear me out, without Christ, there is a lot that's wrong with us. 
In our text today, in Ephesians 2, Paul is being very honest and upfront and, quite frankly, very blunt with us. He says that if you are without Christ, you are sinful, you are spiritually dead, and you are the object of God's wrath. He's saying there's some things that are wrong with us. Let's look at what he says in Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It says, And you were dead. In the trespasses and sins. And he's not talking about physically. He's talking about spiritually here. In which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind." What Paul is basically saying here in these set of verses is that if you don't know this, you were born with a sinful nature. There would be people who say, well, you're not born like that. That's not who you are. And I would say, look at any two-year-old and tell me that I'm wrong, right? (laughs) They're all just a bunch of selfish me monsters. They're me, 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 my, my, mine, right? And then we just grow up into bigger, more selfish me and my monsters, right? We're sinful. We're spiritually dead and we're the object of God's wrath. If you're new to Awaken, we're here to make you feel good about yourself. So welcome. (laughs) But let's just be honest here. A lot of people, we don't talk about this, right? We don't talk about how we're the object of God's wrath. And I don't know how that makes you feel. But it makes me feel terrible. And sometimes I, need to th- I think that we need to sit in that for just a minute and think that without Christ, we are the object of his wrath. So that's the bad news. Here's the good news. The good news is this, that God can change everything in a moment with his son, Jesus. See, the first thought here in Ephesians chapter 2 is that without Christ, there is something wrong with you. But the way you fix the things that are wrong with us are found in verse 4. And it starts with two words, and they're my most favorite words in all of the Bible, and it says, but God. But God. See, anytime you see a list of a bunch of things that are wrong with us or a lot of things that are bad, and you see those two words, but God, that should give you some hope. That should give you some confidence because you know that God changes everything. And so let's see, how do we fix that problem? Verse four, but God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Pay attention. He says it a couple times. Verse 6, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages... He might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift from God. Paul's like, hey, guess what? You did nothing. God did everything. And he says in verse 9, Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, Four good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Without Christ, there's a lot wrong with us. But the hope of this passage is that if you are in Christ, if you are with Christ, you are God's workmanship. God has made you new in Jesus. 
In fact, the Greek word for workmanship, the Greek word is poema. And that's where we get our English translation for a poem or, or masterpiece. And I love this because what this verse is saying is that you are the poetic statement to the glory of God. And when you understand that, and when that clicks for you, it should change how you see your life and how you see yourself. So if today you feel a little inadequate, you feel a little insecure, my hope for you today is that you would be reminded from Paul that you are God's masterpiece. In fact, he reminds us three ways that we are God's masterpiece. And the first one is this. As God's masterpiece, you exist to bring glory to him. Look again, verse 8. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift from God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Paul is telling us that God has dealt with us in grace. And grace is defined as this, God's unmerited favor or getting what I don't deserve. And what we don't deserve is God's forgiveness, redemption, and adoption into his family. What Paul is getting at here is our life didn't change because we decided to obey a bunch of laws or rules and we didn't receive grace because of our perfection or our moral code. It's because of God's grace that we have been saved. Again, it's not like we did anything. We did nothing. God did everything beforehand because salvation is not a reward for the good things that you've done. It doesn't matter how hard you try. It doesn't matter how religious you are. It doesn't matter how many good things you've done. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we've done. It's by God's grace that you have been saved. And I love that line, so that no one can boast about it. None of us can go, well, guess what? I'm better than you because I'm saved or any, because I did so many things. It's not about that. It's all about Jesus and what he did. Now, you got to understand this. We're not saved by the good things that we've done, but we are saved to do good things for the one who saved us. We're never saved by works. And maybe you're here today and you believe that you have to do all kinds of different works. You have to do so many good deeds or have this positive behavior or give so much money because you are part of a church that said, if you want to earn favor with God, if you want to be accepted, if you want to be redeemed, you got to give so much. You got to do so much to earn your salvation, to be redeemed. Maybe you had a friend who told you the same thing. And Paul's telling us here, the good news is that's not it. That's not how salvation works. That's not how redemption works. It doesn't matter how much you give or what you do. No one can earn their way into heaven. It's only through Jesus can we earn our way for salvation and redemption. We're not saved by our good works, but we're saved for good works. And we're saved to make a difference in this world and bring glory to God. If you're in Christ, it doesn't matter how you feel about yourself like we were talking about. It doesn't matter if you feel inadequate, if you feel insecure a little bit, like you're not like this person or as talented as that person. You've been made new. God remade you and you are the masterpiece of God and you are created for the glory of God. Listen, God created you. You're not an accident. It doesn't matter what people might tell you. They might have said, well, you're an accident. You're a mistake. No, you're not. God has a purpose and a plan for your life. And the purpose is to bring glory to God. And you might think, well, how do I do that? How do I bring glory to God? 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. 
See, many people, they're seeking and searching what's the purpose of their life. What are they here on earth to do? What are the things that they're designed for? And they're seeking and they're searching and they're trying to find the meaning of life. And Paul's like, hey, guess what? The meaning of your life, the reason why you're here on planet earth is to bring glory to God. And the way you bring glory to God is anything that you do that makes you love God more, obey God more, follow God more, trust God more, for you to find ways to brag on God more. For you to look at unbelievers and say, guess what? I was dead in Christ. I was the object of God's wrath. But because of Jesus, because of his great love for me, I am new. I am a remade person and you are here for the glory of God. That's what brings glory to God. And as God's masterpiece, that's why you exist. Here's the second thing. As God's masterpiece, God uses your life to bring about his purpose. Look with me, the first half of verse 10. It says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. God will use your life to bring about his purpose. Now, like I said earlier, this word workmanship comes from the Greek word poema, which is where we get poem or masterpiece from. And it's a word that speaks of something that is uh, perfect, that it carries a rhythm of orderliness and beauty to it. Now, when I look at my life, I don't necessarily see a rhythm and orderliness or even a beauty to it. I definitely don't see perfection at all when I look at my life. I don't know about you, but when I look at myself, all I see are all my flaws, especially when I look in a mirror. And when we look in a mirror, what do we normally see? We see our imperfections, we see things that are wrong with us, and we see so many things that need to change about us. But that's not what God sees. God says, you're my work of art, you are my poem, you are my masterpiece. You need to understand this. This isn't something that your loving father can't see his child's faults. It's not like God has dad goggles on right now and he can't see you for who you are, but it's the fact that your all-knowing, all-powerful heavenly father sees what you will be. When I was reading this, it reminded me of uh, when I was a kid. Every Saturday morning, I would wake up, I would grab a bowl of cereal, I'd sit myself down at the TV because this was long before Netflix and all of that other stuff. And so I'd sit down and I'd turn it to Channel 5 PBS and I would watch The Joy of Painting with Bob Ross. Anybody else watch that? <laughs> I loved me some Bob Ross. I loved watching it and, and tuning in and seeing what he was going to paint. I loved the fact that he would take this blank canvas and what I thought was turn it into a masterpiece because I can't paint. I can't do any of that, but I loved watching Bob Ross do his thing. And so I would turn in, I would tune in and I would sit down and I would watch him take a little Van Dyke brown and a little titanium white and do his thing and put things together. And I'd be like, Bob, you're doing it again. You're blowing my mind right now. And Bob would be doing it. He'd be painting. I'd be like, oh, this is great. Bob, you should stop. We're 20 minutes in. This is a masterpiece. Like, if you go any further, you might ruin it. But it almost seemed like every episode, this wasn't even a happy little accident. I think he was doing things on purpose. (laughs) And so what he did is he'd take his little paint scraper and he'd get it on his deal and he would put this blob of black paint right in the middle or on off to the side of the canvas. And I'd be like, Bob, you've ruined it. You should have stopped five minutes ago. What are you doing? But he would take that paint and he would craft it and he would mold it. And I remember one time he turned one into a shed and it was the shed off by this happy little river with some happy little bushes, right? (laughs) 
And I was like, Bob, you did it again. This is wonderful. And I remember this one time he did it and he took this long black line down the center of the canvas. And I was like, well, that ruined your career, Bob. Look at what you did right there. But he added depth to it. He made it into a tree. It added some perception to it. It was an amazing piece of art. And here's the point. The painting always was wonderful. It never got ruined. And in the same way, God looks at you and he sees a finished piece of art. He can see what you will become before you've actually become that thing. It's only something an artist can do. We can look at ourselves and go, God, I don't see a perfect person. God, what are you doing? Do you need a little more Van Dyke Brown in this? Like, I don't understand what's happening right here, God. God, I don't see how you can make beauty out of this mess of a life that I have made. But God says, hold on, hang on for just a second. I know what I'm doing and I know what I'm going to make you into. You need to be patient because you are a work in progress. See, it doesn't happen overnight. It takes your entire life here on earth to become that masterpiece. But I will guarantee you this. One day you will get to heaven and you'll stand there and you'll look at the timeline of your life and you'll say, I get it, God. I get why you made that come into my life or why that had to happen. I get it all. It all makes sense because God sees us for what we will be. I can think of a few examples in the Old Testament and the New Testament. In fact, in the New Testament, Jesus looks at uh, Simon and he says, hey, your name is going to be Peter. And Peter's name means rock. But everyone who knew Simon knew he was not a rock. Rock speaks of something that's solid, stable, strong, dependable. Simon knew he was anything but those things. But what basically Jesus was saying is that you're going to grow into that name. You're going to be a rock. See, later on, Peter would become one of the greatest leaders in the early church, lead thousands of people to Jesus, and no one ever once can ever question the fact that he was a rock. He had to grow into that name. In the Old Testament, there's a guy named Gideon, and he was grinding some wheat. And it says that an angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Gideon, you mighty man of valor. And here's Gideon. He's cowering in fear, afraid of what his enemies, the Mennonites, might do to him. And an angel greets him and says, you are a mighty man of valor. Now, I like to think Gideon was like, you got to be kidding me. I didn't know angels mocked people or made fun of people. Like, what are you doing to me right now, angel? But this angel wasn't making fun of him. The angel saw him for what he could be. Now, in that moment, was he a mighty man of valor? Nope. Would he grow into it? Yes. Even again, in the Old Testament, there's the story of Jacob. And Jacob wasn't the greatest name to walk around town with because his name basically meant heel catcher or deceiver. But God changed his name to Israel and took on a whole new meaning, which means one who rules with God or prince with God has a completely different meaning. Now, did Jacob always live up to that name Israel? Nope. But did he grow into it? Yes. And here's the point. God sees what you will become. We see a Simon, God sees an Apostle Peter. We see a cowering Gideon, God sees a mighty man of valor. We see a blank canvas, and God sees a masterpiece. That's what God is doing with you. He's making you into what you can be. Listen, you are fearfully and wonderfully made, and God will make you into that masterpiece. Here's the third and final thing Paul's reminding us. And it's as God's masterpiece, God has set a course for your life. Look at the last half of verse 10. It says, Which God prepared beforehand 
that we should walk in them. What Paul is saying here is that God is going ahead of us, that he's preparing the way for us. God is using all the resources in this universe to bring about his plans, to fulfill his purpose for us. Even when there's setbacks, even when there's crisis in our life, God is working in it and through it. Again, I like to go to the Old Testament. Because what I like doing about this too, sometimes you'll hear me do this. What I like is that what it shows you is that the Bible, it's a complete book. That nothing in the New Testament doesn't correlate to the Old Testament. And so in the Old Testament, there's the story of Joseph. And you might be familiar with it. It's found in Genesis chapter 37 through chapter 50. You can go back and read it sometime. But I'll give you the 30,000 feet view of this. So it's the story of Joseph. And Joseph, he has this dream. And he's like, hey, guess what, brothers? You're going to bow down before me one day. Now, if you've ever had siblings and they said that to you, you know they're going to have some smackdown. Like, there's going to be some WWE going down in your house. I know in my house that definitely would be the case. And so his brothers didn't like that. And so they go out into the field and they're like, what are we going to do with Joseph? Like, we don't like this. He's getting a little too big headed right now. We got to take care of this. And they're having this kind of commotion. And one of the brothers said, I know what we should do. We should kill him. And all the brothers are like, ugh, that seems like uh, maybe a bad idea. In fact, one brother kind of even had, was the voice of reason. was like, um, that seems like an extreme. Let's kind of maybe just sell him into slavery right now. And so they're like, yeah, let's just sell him into slavery. And so that's what they did. And do you think Joseph was like, yes, it's God's masterpiece. I am sold into slavery. This is what I always wanted for my life. He never said that. But God was working in it and through it. Fast forward a little bit. Joseph is sold to this man named Potiphar. And it tells us one day that Potiphar's wife looked at Joseph and was like, mm, I got to get me some of that. You look a little tasty. And so she put the moves on him. But Joseph was a man of integrity. And so he ran away. But what did she do? She reached out and grabbed his cloak and tore it off of him. And then she goes to Potiphar and she's like, hey, Potiphar, look, Joseph tried to put the moves on me. And so he was thrown into prison. He was falsely accused and thrown into prison. Did you think like Joseph ever was like, oh man, prison, that's where it's at. Like as God's masterpiece, that's where I want to be in prison right now. He never said that, but God was working in it and through it. And through a series of events, Joseph starts interpreting some dreams and he becomes the second in command of all of Egypt. And God was using and working everything out So that he would prepare for this big famine. And a famine hits and Joseph's brothers come before him. And they don't realize who Joseph is. And so they ask for food. And so Joseph makes him do some things and grab his little brother. And then he calls this giant feast and he reveals to his brothers who he is. And the brothers were probably like, oh, we're going to get some revenge now. This isn't going to be good. And Joseph said these words to his brothers. What you meant for evil, God used for good. God took everything that had happened in Joseph's life to bring about his purpose. It reminds me of the verse in Romans 8, 28. You probably know it. You might have it memorized. And it says, and we know that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. This verse is not a promise for everybody in this world. It's only a promise for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. God is a good God. And he has good plans for your life. Now, not everything in your life may be good. But listen, God didn't promise that. 
Nowhere once in this verse does it ever promise that. He didn't say everything in your life that is going to be good. Because the reality is that we live on a broken planet. Nothing works perfectly. Your body is broken and doesn't work the way that it should or that it once did. Our minds are broken and they don't work like they should. The weather is broken. I mean, come on, we had sunshine and somewhat warm weathers and now it's freezing and we might have snow this week. And so the weather is broken. The economy is broken. Relationships are broken. Nothing is perfect. And God didn't promise us perfection. That's called heaven. So we shouldn't expect heaven on earth. Earth is filled with brokenness. But even in the middle of all of the brokenness, God has a good plan for your life. He's greater than the bad choices. And he can fit even the foolish decisions that you've made for your life. And he can fit them for good. He can fit even the bad and the bitter things in your life, and he can make them good. I don't know how many of you have ever made a cake before, but when you've made a cake, the individual ingredients aren't very good, are they? Flour by itself isn't very good. Raw eggs by itself isn't very good. Vanilla by itself isn't very good. But when you mix them all together, when you put them together, it creates this tasty masterpiece. When you let God work all the ingredients in your life together, God can take the bitter and he can make it better because he is a good God. And the hope is that there is nothing that has come into your life that your heavenly father already hasn't filtered through his hands. And some of you right now might be going, well, I wish I wasn't going through this right now. I wish that this wasn't happening in my life. Why did our family have to go through this? I wish that the things could be different. I wish that I wasn't going through this. But you need to understand this, that if you are in Christ today, if you are a follower of Jesus, when all the things in your life are not good, listen, the promise is that God is working everything for your good. God has a plan and a purpose, and he will chart the course for your life. I wonder how you would describe yourself today. What adjectives would you use? Perhaps you came here today and you would describe yourself as inadequate or insecure or unqualified or you felt rejected. My hope today is that you would see yourself in this passage as God's masterpiece. In fact, I called the message, Pardon My Spiritual Dust. And I wonder if you've ever been to a restaurant or a store that'll say like, hey, excuse our mess right now. We're under construction. That's the idea here. Pardon my spiritual dust because we're all a work in progress. God is molding us and creating us and crafting us and shaping us into being his masterpiece. And my prayer for you is that you would understand and you would know the love that God has for you, the purpose that he has for your life, and that he is making you into that masterpiece. Whether you feel it or not, he is making you into that masterpiece. And the reason why that's my prayer is because I know what it's like to go from a sinful, selfish, prideful person to being transformed by the grace of God. I used to be in the first part of Ephesians chapter 2, but God changed all of that in my life. And now I am being transformed into his masterpiece. I haven't haven't approached or even gotten close to perfection. But pardon my spiritual dust. Because I am the masterpiece of God created for the master's purpose. And if you're here today. 
and you're trying to fill your life with all kinds of labels. This is who I am. This is what I think I am. This is who I should be. This is who, what I once was. My prayer for you is that you would just stop trying to find yourself and your identity in this world and that you would stop all of that and you would come to Jesus and taste and see that he is good and that he has a transforming power in your life and you too can become the masterpiece of God. Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We'd love to hear how this message or the ministry of Awaken has impacted your life. Let us know at awaken.church forward slash my story.